When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into DNVR Buffs Live. We are, of course, presented by the American Raptors. Head on over to AmericanRaptors.com. Grab your free ticket for one of their rugby matches or stream all of their games. Ryan, we have a great show today. Mike Sanford, the interim head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes football team, will be joining us. Um, but before, some insane news. CU basketball becoming a bit of a powerhouse. Asan Diop commits to Tad Boyle and the Buffs yesterday. Just your thoughts from this incredible recruiting class. Yeah, um, you know, I mentioned it a little bit when they got the commitment from Cody Williams. Just how hard Tad Boyle has worked to try and have a breakthrough like this. And I think the Diop news is correlated to the Cody Williams commitment. And I kind of talked about how so much about college athletics is about momentum and building on momentum when you get it. And this is kind of the first domino to fall in that world. And there could be even more dominoes to fall after that, even before the, these guys get on campus. So it, it's I'm really just happy for Tad and that program because this is the type of breakthrough that I think he's needed. Um, and we saw this team, you know, they're capable of beating top 10 or top 11 yeah. <laughs> opponents on the road as currently you know, uh, constructed. You add a five-star talent, a four-star local talent, which you know, that's important as well uh, to that, and you know, you, uh, you're really cooking with gas. You're cooking so much that 24-7 Sports has this Buffs basketball recruiting class ranked as the 15th overall recruiting class on three, has them at 28th overall. I mean, it's one of the best classes in the nation at this point. And you just have and you're gonna add KJ Simpson into this mix because Pac-12 player of the week last week in the opening week of basketball, uh, career high game against Tennessee. The momentum of this program is just really starting to roll. We got the Myrtle Beach invitational this weekend, first game tomorrow at eleven thirty AM against UMass. Love that. Um, so it's just insane and it's it's a lot of fun, especially after what we saw on the football field, a lot of fans really hurting and struggling. Uh, this university finally has something for everyone to rally around and really get excited about. Um, well, and I hope they do. Yes. Um, because, you know, the grambling loss um, caused a lot of grumbling yeah. uh, <laughs> in Buffs well Nation. And it was kind of one of these things like, oh, you know, classic Buffs. This stuff just happens to us. Um, and then they turned right around and they did something that this that do doesn't happen. You know, like winning on the road in college basketball is so, so hard. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't do it as 15-point favorites. Yeah, I saw it on Friday. The night before, two nights before. They're 15-and-a-half-point dogs, and they go. And, and that type of response should tell you, like, what this team is made of and, and what this coaching staff is made of. But I think K.J. Simpson um, is starting down the path of becoming a legend at CU. Uh, and I think when he becomes – the veteran leader, right? He'll be a junior next year. When he's the veteran leader for this young, upstart, super talented team, I think that's when he's really going to elevate himself in terms of the way that he, his legacy is viewed at CU. KJ Simpson, also, I mean, there's six of the top 10 recruits in the modern era of recruiting, if you want to call it that, that are going to be on next year's roster. Cody Williams, Lawson Lovering, KJ Simpson, Quincy Allen, Asan Diop, and Neat Clifford. There is a small little problem that comes with this commitment, though. The buffs are now over the 13 scholarship limit for next year. It's a great problem to have. Someone's yeah. going to have to either go pro or 
I guess hit the transfer portal. I know yeah. we don't want to say those words really on this show, but yeah, I mean it's it just that's the that's the reality of it. And and Tad Boyle honestly has never really had a problem with sitting down with guys after the season and saying, "Hey, like you're not really in our future plans." Um, and it's kind of a shitty thing sometimes, um, but at the same time, it also gives those guys an opportunity to go to a place where they have a chance to succeed. You know, um, and it's it's the truth. Like it's not just that they need the scholarship. It's that you've been recruited over Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you're not going to play nearly as big of a role as you might've thought. So it's the, the tough business of the, of, you know, especially basketball. So few scholarships. Uh, I talked about KJ Simpson's player of the week. Do you remember the last buffs basketball player to get player of the week? Hmm. I'm just going to guess Derek white. McKinley Wright. Okay, I should have guessed McKinley Wright. Yep. That was much more recent. KJ possibly following in those footsteps. We'll yep. see. It's exciting to see. <clears throat> we could talk about that tomorrow. We can bet on basketball tomorrow, college basketball, or the NBA with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Tons of stepped-up same-game parlays going on and tons of deals on the top of the homepage. Have you gone into college basketball betting yet? Um, a little bit. I just like betting unders in college basketball. Smart. Um, I've talked a lot about how I just like watching people miss shots. The Buffs were actually, <laughs> or Grambling is actually plus 900 on the money line on oh. Friday. Painful one. You can hit it up was all. Silver Buff who said. Yeah, yeah Silver Buff's. Uh, Grambling money line and USC and minus 34 and a half. They covered. That would have been a hell of a parlay. <laughs> For a two pick parlay, absolutely. But add even more legs on your same game parlays and get those stepped-up odds from DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, Bet on the NBA. Bet on college basketball this whole weekend. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DMVR. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Again, that's only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code DMVR. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Also, shout-out to our friends over at Athletic Greens. It's cold and flu season. It's getting cold outside. You got to make sure you're taking care of your body, getting all those vitamins and minerals into you. Uh, Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash buffs. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash buffs to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. We talked to Coach Sanford on Monday. He's going to join us now. We had a lot of fun. Um, we kind of cut in because we were, I mean, we just got right to it really as soon as he entered the room. Yeah, uh, it was so, so cool. Honestly, one of my favorite interviews um, we, we've ever done um, just because he's so real. Um, and you know, I think there's a little bit of leash that comes with being an interim head coach that allows you to be more of this, but I think you'll hear in the interview, I asked him something like that and he was like, no, I stopped towing the company line when I was like 33. Uh, and I just really, really appreciated his candor and, and the way he talked with us before the interview, during the interview and after the interview was just, just, you know, one of the guys. Yeah, absolutely. It was a ton of fun. Um, I mean, I wish we could have done it longer cause there was so much more I wanted to ask him. I think we're ready. Let's throw it up. Our interview with Coach Sanford. Did I go in the middle? Yeah, sir. Feels hot. Start of the show. (laughs) Hot seat right there, brother. (laughs) Yep. How's it going, man? Good, man. How you doing? Good. I'm Mike. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. What is that like? What is that feeling like? Kind of you get that call of just, hey, you know, you're going to get this interim gig. And it's very clear from the outside that you took that nothing to lose approach. Like, I'm just going to pour everything I have into this and just go. You know, um, I, I think I think a little bit it's just been just I had a lot of good connections with players in the team. And I, I knew that they were going through hard stuff. And it, I just wanted to make like their experience the best possible experience, because let's just face it. You know, being one and nine stinks. Like, it stinks as a coach, it stinks as a player. 
Um, and, and frankly, I think some of the some of the repetitiveness of losing games, not just in this season, but over time, it, it accumulates. And if, if you just make it about drudgery um, on a daily basis in the pure mundane, it get, I mean, obviously it gets really old. So, you know, I've, I've been just honestly just doing things that, that come up to my mind and some wild stuff and um, just just to try to create a, an environment that like going to work, going to practice every day is like an enjoyable time. All right, coach, you kind of you come in, you're kind of thrown into this position and then the NIL collective is thrown at you. Um, How has it been just handling that and just the ever changing landscape really of college football with that? Well, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that are coaching at places that are extremely you know, involved in the NIL space. So I know what we're competing against. And, and what I do think is I think that the NIL piece of it, I think it leveled the playing field for the Pac-12. Um, with regards to probably what was going on before the NIL in certain parts of the country. I mean, that's just a reality. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what, what you're seeing is, is you're seeing uh, just a, a vast improvement, I'd say, of like the top six to eight teams in the Pac-12. Um, and so I've looked at it as my responsibility, knowing what's going on out here, to, to really convey the message to, to, to the CU family, to the, um, to the donors, that this is – this is what we have to do in order to compete. And if we don't, then we're going to continue to get the same results. And, that, and that's just a, it's, that, is, that is a reality. Um, and I think that there are a lot of people that are not comfortable with the NIL space. Well, is everybody comfortable with the TV deals that are millions and millions and millions of dollars that are going directly back into institutions and coaches' salaries? Well, to me, like the players are the ones that are out there creating that, that you know, that, that entertainment value. Um, and I want to do what I can to be able to at least help the players on our current roster and future players to come in and feel like CU is a big part of that space. And I believe that's, that's what's going on. Um, so at this point, certainly like there's, there's more of an educational element and using the platform of media and, and press conferences to, to really talk about the reality of what's out there. Um, you look at even the quarterback deal, right? In our conference, like look at the quarterbacks and and you know the, how how did they get to their respective institutions? They just chose them. I mean, there's other aspects to it, and we all know that. Like that's not a you know it's it, I wouldn't say it's like documented with exactness, but we all know that there's 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 a tremendous amount of of money that's going into uh, alluring talent um, and the NCAA is making it uh, making it legal right. um, and and however that looks like. What, what do you think is the biggest key for CU to catch up in that space? Because, uh, you know, I, like you said, I don't think it's a secret that they're behind in this world. What's the first step or what are the steps to getting caught up in there? Creativity. I mean, that's, it's not just solely, hey, XYZ donor, you need to go give all of your life savings to make sure that CU has a good season in 23. Um, there's a lot of different levels that are happening other than just a donor base. There's... Um, there's marketing agencies that are representing student athletes. And then, you know, those, those relationships are happening outside of the institution. Um, but I even look at Boulder. I mean, look at how many, this is like a marketing, you know, metropolis, like for, for like young, like up and comers in the marketing space. It's like, how can we get, you know, that community to start representing our players and then start finding more, more value. And I think we, just like anything else, like we can, we can create relationships um, between said, said marketing agencies or, or really creative marketing elements. And, and that's what I'm, I'm doing a lot of homework myself and talking to a lot of different places across the country to find out exactly what's going on so that we're not getting left in the dust. That's the core of college football, right? Is marketing at, at, a, at a lot of levels. It's, it's marketing, it's perception, um, it's, brand. And, and it's brand, and then it's reality, right? Like, <laughs> let's just call it it is. Like, we're the reality of our situation right now is we're one and nine. I am a I am a one in what did it make me one in four head coach right now, um, and that's a reality. That's a perception. I also know that I believe that there's there's ways that you can improve that dramatically and quickly, um, but it, it it's it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Well, can we go back to when you got the you know the call or the conversation, the knock on the door that you were going to be the interim head coach? Kind of what what are the first thoughts that go through your mind in that? You know, it was it was a hectic day. Um, I think just where we were at, and, and just the feel on, on game day, and even the feel, you know, um, at Arizona. Like, I've been in this business for 40 years as a coach's kid, or a player, or as a coach, and 
you, you just, there's a dread. Yeah. You go into work with, uh, I don't know what today holds. Um, you know, I'm sitting in my office watching the game film with Chandler Durrell um, and just talking through different scenarios and stuff that was going on and, you know, personnel and stuff along those lines. And I mean, it, he had no idea what was going on. And, uh, you know, I go to the, go to use the restroom and I, and I see that there was some activity on the floor that typically wasn't there on a Sunday. And what you're already kind of, yeah, I'm like, I, I know something's going on. Um, and then I, you know, I was asked by Alec Russo uh, to uh, to go up to Rick's office and, and meet one on one with Rick. And um, you know, to be honest, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> you know, I just I, you, you don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, and and obviously, like he, he told me that he believed that I could I could I could you know impact change uh, for these next seven weeks. I knew it was going to be an uphill climb. Um, nothing happens truly overnight. Um, I did know that there was an opportunity to impact um, the roster in a certain different ways and, and, and you know, different relationships, different ways of, of being able to try to optimize what, what we have on our roster. And, you know, it came to fruition in, in one week. Um, and obviously, like, my belief of going into every single game is that we have a chance to win. I do think that the reality of losing 23 players um, to the portal and then really losing that amount um, – and then not having the ability to essentially replenish it with equal, you know, numbers, yeah. um, you know, put us in a tough situation. And, you know, what you saw is you got, saw the, you know, really look at our schedule. You look at Washington, Oregon, SC, um, even Arizona State, like they lost, some of them lost players, but they also added a, a, an influx of established talent. Um, you know, we added really Josh Chandler Shimedo, great talent, um, Tommy Brown and RJ Sneed. You know, and that's if you look at some of these other rosters, I mean, nearly half of their starters are incoming proven, you know, players at the power five level. Um, so there's been some challenges with obviously just the, the margin for errors. Then um, we have to execute at an extremely high level um, and we're doing it with a lot of young players. So um, that's the thing that I've, I've been doing with the team is just keeping the, us on the just on the up and up with our attitude, and our mentality to make sure that we go forward and and, and really do our best. Just going back to, you know, you were hired in just December. Um, in October, you could become the interim head coach. Uh, personally, I just started working this job in August, and I learned really quickly how special this place is. And it seems like same thing for you. Um, just how did that come to be? How did CU come to mean so much to you in just such a short time? It, it, for me, it, it dates back, like, almost the time I was probably seven or eight years old, um, which you put it. Consequently, at 89, 90, 91, um, you know, pretty good time of uh, CU football. So a lot of people don't know this about me, but when I was five years old, uh, my dad coached at Purdue, um, and there was a, uh, a brand-new uh, graduate assistant to coaching who had just gotten done playing uh, pro football, and that was Brian Cabral. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I actually, you know, my mom would, would drop me off at, at, at Coach Cabral at Becky's house, and they had kids. We played together. Um, and really through the years, even though, you know, Coach Cabral came back to CU, um, and then my dad ended up hiring him again at Indiana State. They worked together at the tail end of Coach Cabral's career, and Coach Cabral is still here working with us really, um, you know, really intimately with our football program. Um, I had always heard, even from the time I was five, about what an unbelievable place the University of Colorado was and how sweet of a town Boulder was. And um, the first time I got to see it with my own eyes was when I was coaching at Stanford in 2012 um, in that actual game. Uh, we made the, the quarterback change from Josh Nunez to Kevin Hogan. And that game itself, I was in this in this stadium, and I'm like, this place is unbelievable. It's exactly what Coach Cabral had been talking about for years. I would love to coach here. Fast forward, um, obviously that year, that change ended up really reeling off, I think, three Rose Bowl games for Stanford over the next five years. Um, but what it, the, the thing that happened for me last year is I'm coaching the University of Minnesota. We play at Boulder. Same thing happens again to me. I'm like, this place is incredible. Um, and a lot of it was my relationships. Shannon Turley, um, I've worked with him at Stanford. Uh, Brian Cabral's been essentially like an, almost an uncle to me for years. Um, Coach Durrell, I recruited Chandler at Stanford. Um, you know, there were, there were quite a few. Darian Hagan and I have known each other. We've, been, we've worked camps together. We, he and I, our personalities are very compatible. So it was weird. I almost kind of, I was on the Minnesota sideline. But I actually felt more of a personal connection to a lot of the guys that were at CU just because of relationships and a, and a background. 
Interesting. Um, just for, again, you personally, I mean, this is obviously a huge opportunity for you. If you could kind of look into the crystal ball, um, once the season's done, what do you think it looks like for you? I don't know. I really don't. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I think the thing that I want the most of anything is I want what's best for, their, for the players. Um, I think that this has strangely become, even though I've only been here for now 11 months, it, like I basically moved here in January. So, you know, just I've never probably felt more connected to a group of players, like truly, than I, than I have uh, really over these last 10, 11 months. Um, I think I was going through, you know, a hard part in my football career. I've had tremendous highs and I've also had lows, but welcome to coaching, right? Um, so I think just that common ground that I felt with the players, I think that's really kind of almost continued through and, and with our coaching staff and with them. I truly just want what's best for them. And, uh, you know, I've made it pretty clear. I, 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 want, I want CU to retain the talent we have on this roster. I think that's incredibly important. Um, and whatever that looks like, I don't know. Um, but I, I'm not having those conversations right now because we're getting ready to play Washington. I'm not having those conversations next week because we're playing Utah. But there's a reality that this thing is coming to an end as it relates to the 2022 season. Um, and so people are starting to have those, you know, at least those thoughts about what, what's best for my future. And what I want for them is what's best for them. In relation to that connection that you're feeling, how special was that Cal win for you personally? Where does that rank among moments in your coaching career? I think it was, it was, it was, I think it, there are two moments that really stand out to me. Um, and it was in the top two, which is crazy, especially when you're in the record we are. But there's so much more than just records in, in the life of a football coach and even in the life of a, a coach's wife and his kids and even my parents, you know. And um, the, 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 I think the two that stand out are certainly that game just because of the adversity and just seeing like just absolute pandemonium and chaos when you're one and five yeah. like that was just, that's just epic to, to have a chance to see that like oh, yeah. to see a fan base that fired up to win a football game um to, to overcome odds to be 14 and a half point underdogs or wherever we were or something along those lines um and then the other one was i had a chance to return to my alma mater my first year as an offensive coordinator with the boise state um we started the year out two and two and at boise state two and two is like being zero and twelve um, you know, the expectations at Boise State when you coach there is that you score 68 points a game, that you, you hit on 12 trick plays, and that the Statue of Liberty, you know, ends up leading to a proposal in the end zone. Um, so, uh, you know, we were 2-2, two and two, lost at Air Force. It's been a, been a little bit of a, of a kind of a, of a nightmare place for, for me personally, but um, we lost at Air Force and, um, you know, basically galvanized the troops. I think we ended up winning – 10 straight, nine straight, won the Fiesta Bowl. And I was the play caller for that team. And just like overcoming that and then also to do it at the place that I coached at. Um, probably one of the bigger regrets I have is, is I, I left that to go be the office coordinator in Notre Dame, which is a tremendous experience. But just knowing how special that was to be at the place that I went to school at, I think was, was obviously like the two best moments. And, and, and what makes those moments so special are like, and I remember like the visuals like is like hugging a player and then your your wife and your kids waiting for you right after to mm -hmm. give them a hug. Like just to me that like that's where you see the coinciding of your worlds. Like the, your two families, which are ultimately one family, are like your relationship with the players and then your relationship with really your most important family, which is your wife and kids. And you also got to see like you did make an impact, you know, like you took over the gig and um, I think there was a lot of belief out there that like this team is just cooked and you know I don't think anyone would have been necessarily surprised if you guys lost that week you know and it has to be special to be like okay the things that I thought we needed to change the things that I wanted to implement actually did make an impact yeah I think I think that's the thing and and what I crave so much and like I, I just rack my brain in week in week out is like what else can I do to to recreate that moment mm -hmm. you know and that's there's, there's truly nobody wants that more for these players than me. Obviously, like it could be said that I want it for myself and all that stuff. And like just seeing like what those players have been through, the amount of their teammates that left them to go to other places and that are starting on top ten teams. Like there's a lot of that out there. Just I want to create that for them so bad. And as we know, I mean the road's been hard, you know. And I like we're not going to back down to it. The thing that. I still like will I know for my entire career that I will never forget is just like how hard these players fight 
um, and it doesn't show up in the box score always. Um, it shows up in growth. And then where I see it the most is if, if somebody came to our practices, like on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and they had no idea what our record was, they'd be blown away that we're a one and eight football team or a one and nine football team, depending on the week. So um, that's, I believe that the process itself, like if your process stays at a really high level, somehow, some way, a breakthrough's coming. Friday, you guys went up against USC. I mean, they're pretty much the class of this conference right now. But you go back 25, 30 years, CU was the class of their conference. In your opinion, just from what you've seen, I've asked Darian Hagan this, a lot of people this actually over the last few weeks, but what do you think CU needs to get back to that level, to get back to where everyone wants it to be? You know, I think, obviously, I think that, I, I believe that we have really, really good young talent here. Uh, I think um, we also have some really good players that, are, that could potentially come back for a fifth or sixth year. Um, I think that we need that continual growth that, that, that happens year in, year out. Um, and then I think we need to be very aggressive in addressing the elephants in the room with regards to roster efficiencies. Um, you know, and that's, that's depth issues. Like I think right now our biggest issue and, and why I think second, third, fourth quarter, sometimes things get away from what could be a really good start um, is depth. You know, when everybody else, like you look at USC, Travis Dye goes down, right? Unbelievable player, maybe one of the best in the country. I mean, the other two, three backs that played are dudes. Like, they're just over and over, and they're, they're not just good players. Like, they're, like, dynamic playmakers, right. you know, and I think that that's where, where we need to go. There's certain positions this year where we're holding on, you know, by thread, you know, just to, just to be able to, to put, you know, the amount of number of guys out there. Like, we, we went into the Arizona game offensively with Brady Russell was out. Uh, Caleb Fournier was out. Um, Austin Smith was ruled out like game time and we're looking out there we're we're we like to play two tight end sets and we're we're looking out there like we don't really have bodies left you know so you know Eric Olson filled in admirably Louis Passarella went from being you know not even really being active like because of his his injuries to to playing in a Pac-12 game so I think the depth piece is really important and I think that the name of the game is acquisition of talent period acquisition of talent. I think that culturally have what it takes here in Boulder. Um, I think that the acquisition of talent also includes the recruitment of your own roster and then making sure that you, you use the high school level, um, you know, in, in the state of California, starting with the state of Colorado um, and then going into Texas and certain other niche areas. Um, I think high school needs to be your foundation. And then you got to just be very aggressive with patching up depth issues with roster uh, in the portal. You mentioned like the the amount of players that went out, and you know the the talent you were able to get back in. What what has to change there um, to make it so? <clears throat> if twenty three players want to go, you know you can get in twenty three more uh, that are are you know of the caliber of a Christian Gonzalez or a Brendan Rice guys that you guys have had to face in the last couple of weeks, which has got to be frustrating. Maybe not as much for you as it is for you know their former teammates. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's very multifaceted. I think prior relationships help. You know, obviously, like, having known them either from the recruiting side of things from high school or in the case of sometimes, I mean, look at, you know, what happened at SC. You know, what? why did they get Caleb Williams? He was Lincoln's quarterback at, at SC. Um, you know, and certainly we all know the other part of it is NIL, right? Like, that's to be competitive. That's, you know, if you want to win that level, and, and you have to patch the holes that exist. You have to go that space. You have to go in the NIL side of things. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, for the other part of it too is just things that, that are going on like at all times is, is making sure that this is a, a, a friendly place for a, a transfer to come to with regards to being able to, 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 to get admitted, which hasn't been a big issue, but you know, everything from it, from their credits transferring over, like there's a lot of different things that, you know, it's not just a Colorado thing. It's, it's, there's, there's different schools that have different requirements. And so there's a lot of things that people can't get in front of and talk about at a press conference, but you know, that, that we're working, like we're working on Rick George is working on it. And, and I think that this becomes a place that, that you obviously, you know, we, we got to address those things and we are. Is that kind of an opportunity for you too, to just shed light on those things and maybe be a little more vocal than someone who maybe has to, I don't know, for lack of a better term, tow the company line? No, I, I think I towed the company line when I was 33 years old as a head coach. And frankly, like, 
I think sometimes just that, first of all, the most important people that I speak to are, are between 18 and 22 years old. This generation can sniff out BS so quickly. This generation is the generation that, that, that relates to transparency, that relates to you being honest about where you're at um, and what, what the issues are. Um, like even this week, like just acknowledging how really this is hard, not just for you, it's hard for me. It's hard for my family. Like the uncertainty is hard for our family. Um, and so like, regardless of, of my position, like I've learned that I'm going to be transparent. Um, and if it can help push CU forward, this is the job that I was called to do right now. I don't know what's gonna, I'm gonna be called to do, you know, in three months or in two weeks. I have no idea. I really don't. But the job that I've been called to do and that I've assigned to do, I'm gonna do everything in my power to push it in, in, in the positive direction. That's what really the last seven weeks have been about eight weeks um, is doing everything in my power to just push, push CU with the help of our administration uh, and with our players to push CU in the best possible direction we can going forward. I'd love to talk some ball, man. Um, so you've been a lot of places, you've coached a lot of really talented players. Who stands out to you though as the most talented players you've coached? Well, there's a guy named Andrew Luck uh, <laughs> that was pretty good. You know, that was, that was a really fun time in my life. I was, I was young, I was 25. Um, so I had, a, I had a previous relationship with Jim Harbaugh. Um, my dad had coached the receivers at the Chargers. Jim was the quarterback in his like 15th year or something. And he's a coach's kid. I'm a coach's kid and, and I was always at practice and gravitated towards him. And I was the guy that used to warm him up in pregame warmups. Um, and if I, he couldn't find me, he'd go, hey, where's Mike? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, fast forward, I was a GA for my dad at, at, at UNLV and I, I didn't want to go um, the route where I was just kind of holding on to my dad's name. And I wanted to, you know, create my own path and create my own niche and build my own relationships. And so I got on a plane and I, um, I, I flew out to Stanford um to Palo or to San Francisco and then I was uh I was on a southwest flight um from Vegas because of UNLV to uh to, to San Francisco and um I, I was in a suit and tie and I was just gonna literally just go up to Stanford because you can't get on the phone with the head coach ever when they just get named so it's the day of Jim's press conference I'm on the flight and I, I was thinking about what I'm gonna say when I go to the press conference and sure enough right down the the aisle right at me comes Jim Harbaugh <laughs> on my flight so uh, oh, oh yeah and, and, and guess what i did i, I don't know Gross. what you do i yeah. ducked because <laughs> it wasn't my like i was like this isn't how i planned this thing going right. and like i had it worked up in my mind i was gonna go and i so i called my wife uh called Anne marie and i was like hey coach Harbaugh is on the flight what should i do she's like go talk to him i'm like this isn't how i like drew it up um and sure enough like halfway through the flight i finally conjured up enough courage to go up sat down with him and he asked he's like mike what are you doing here I'm like well i came to see you so um from that experience i was i was um over time it was about a month or so later i was named the quality control coach there uh it was a really cool configuration because i was i was Coach, coach Harbaugh was the quarterback coach. Mm -hmm. I was the quality control guy, and he's a head coach. He's building a program from scratch, and they were 1-11 the year before right. he got there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I did a lot of stuff with, you know, recruiting, evaluation, and, um, you know, there were, I was a big part of, of, uh, of the evaluation with other coaches on the staff. Andy Boo was the Houston recruiter. Um, Jim, you know, Jim loved Andrew Luck. Um, but, you know, like I had a chance to run the quarterback academy at Stanford. Um, we had all these great guest speakers come in and like I think Joe Montana was there. I can't remember if John Elway came that year or not. He came one of the two years um, and spoke to the group. But Andrew Luck was there and I had, I had like their own my own little itinerary for for Andrew Luck. Yeah. Um, and the other quarterback that we were kind of deciding between was Sean Renfrey um, that played at Duke and then he's been in, he'd been in the NFL as a backup. Um, and uh, both really good players. And it was almost kind of a dueling head-to-head -head deal. And, um, you know, I just – Andrew Luck's truly the most intellectually gifted player I've ever been around. Um, and the thing that people don't realize about him is just how incredibly athletic and powerful he was. Like, he threw the ball with ease, but – he was like a four five, like he was like a high, like four five forty guy, but it wasn't just a four five. Like he ran through people, like Josh Allen today, kind of. Yeah, and 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 very very similar. Um, just just like almost just like this once in a lifetime talent. And so I had a chance to to be with he was he was kind of red, he redshirted the first year in, in two thousand eight, um, and I had a chance to work with him that year as a quality control guy. And then I was fortunate enough to I, I left and got my first full time job at Yale. 
Um, and then I went to Western Kentucky with Willie Taggart, his first year there. And then when Coach Shaw, David Shaw, got the head job at Stanford, I was fortunate enough to come back in Andrew Luck's final year. And I was the running back coach, but it was fun to be, you know, to be a part of, of kind of his, his beginning and his end there at Stanford. And there's so many other people that were more involved with his development and all that, but just to be around him um, and see his impact on the team and really see the impact on changing the trajectory of Stanford football was incredible. Yeah. Looks well, like we have a little technical difficulty there. Yeah, unfortunately. We were Allie, just getting to the good stuff. What's the uh, what's the course of action here? All right, she's going to try and figure out, see All if right. we can play the rest of the interview there. Um, I, actually kind of a good stopping point just to kind of, you know, maybe t it's like an intermission. Yes. Uh, we can kind of digest some of the stuff that he's talked about so far. What was the most interesting thing to you? I think just his attachment to CU. I mean, honestly, that was what, what I was most curious to ask. Just because you see this guy come in in December and then all of a sudden all these responsibilities are thrown on him and he not only embraces it, but I mean, he's done well with it too, with all the responsibility that he's had to take on. And I mean, just the Cal game and his stories from that were amazing. What about you though? What, what blew you away? I think that's a really good one just because of what, I don't know, what you saw from him in that Cal game was so passionate and so um for lack of a better term like heart on your sleeve style mm -hmm. coaching and i guess to hear him say that he feels closer to this team than any team he's ever been around in a lot of years of coaching um was evident that day yeah you know and in the way that he was running around celebrating he talked about the chaos around him but but the chaos that he, you know you saw from him uh was really special and i remember thinking that day like man that feels like a former player yep. who got this opportunity, who, you know, got to put on the black and gold and run out behind Ralphie as a player. And that's why it meant, but it, it's, he's not that, you know, and it's interesting hearing about his connections with Brian Cabral. Brian Cabral is a special, special person. Um, in you know, when I was a kid, he mentioned what, seven, eight, nine, when he met Brian Cabral, I think I was seven, eight, nine. When I met Brian Cabral at CU football camp, um, and, you know, he kind of like runs the, he, he would run the show there for Gary Barnett. And I just remember thinking like, man, he's one of those people that you can tell why that people connect with him and feel like he's special. So that was cool. Um, and then finally, you know, without saying it, because he can't quite say it, he did address the reasons why CU is not competing at the level that everyone wants him to compete at and 23 guys out and a few guys back in that yep. really a lot of them aren't as good as some of the guys that went out and uh you know you have players like he mentioned starting on top 10 teams several i mean i guess yeah. it, it, oregon's probably out of the top 10 now are they um i can't i think they're down to 12 either way mark perry starting at top TCU, 10 team yep. number four yep um you have caleb or uh brendan rice playing playing at usc um they're Makai. Makai's also there. Christian Gonzalez, as you mentioned, at Oregon. So those uh, are guys who are capable of playing at top 10 teams who were playing for the Buffs last year who are no longer playing there. Uh, and, you know, again, he didn't quite get into it entirely. Um, but acquisition of talent, that's the name of the game. To go back to what you were talking about with just loving the players and how he was acting um, on the field in celebration with that Cal game, I go back to his introductory press conference when really one of the first things he said was he's just got to love these players like immediately recognize the situation immediately recognize how down these players were and just how difficult it had been those opening five games of the season just getting blown out week in week out and the ability to really turn in a team or turn a team that was i mean they weren't competitive besides the first half against tcu those first five games and all of a sudden they come out with a completely different fire um, and they win the game, of course, as everyone knows. It was just impressive, though, that the players also really gravitated to him. And every player I've talked to really since then, there's nothing but glowing remarks about Coach Sanford. Yeah. And, you know, this was going to be one of my um, reactions at the very end of it. But I just kind of wish he got a different shake here. And, and the reason I say that is just because of the way the schedule played out. Um, because I really think... 
after being around him, he has what it takes to be a head coach uh, in the college ranks. Yes, absolutely. That's my biggest takeaway, I think, is he did himself a lot of favors, I think, in the eyes of other um, ADs and coaches just around college football. Odds are this guy's probably not going to be mm-hmm. back at CU next this year or next year, um, just after the Utah game, really. And they're going to bring in a new coach, so... It's tough to see, but I mean, he did nothing but help himself, and I can't help but imagine he'll be at a good program coming this next fall. For sure, and I'd really like to see him get another look. Um, it's not going to end up being here, and, and one of the reasons—it's not the entire reason—but one of the reasons is because of the schedule. Like, I think if he didn't end the season on this absolute, um, you know, uh, gauntlet. Yeah, the word is a gauntlet uh, of what? What's going to end up being five straight games as thirty-point dogs, or four? Four. Four straight games as 30-point dogs is probably mm-hmm. what this thing is going to shake out to at the yep. end. Uh, and honestly, almost none of that is Mike Sanford's fault. You know what I mean? 100%. Um, had the schedule been flipped with some of the more winnable games at the end, I think there's a world in which he plays himself at least into the conversation where we're talking at the end of this, okay, it's down to, and I'm just giving random examples here, Bronco Mendenhall, Tom Herman, and Mike Sanford is getting a real look because of the way he was able to turn things around. You know, I think that that would have been an option. It's not going to end up being that way because uh, part of this hire is about galvanizing the fan base. And as much as you and I could sit here and tell people this guy's awesome, which I think comes through pretty well in this yeah. interview, um, that wouldn't sell season tickets. No. And it's not necessarily his fault, but it's the reality of the situation. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think we talked about it when we did our tier list after Darrell was fired. I mean, we had Sanford down low just because, I mean, it wasn't realistic at the time even, uh, even if he turned in wins against Arizona State, um, any of the other teams. I mean, Oregon State, too, you could throw in there, I guess. But Oregon State would have been an er, – sorry, Arizona State would have been an interesting one. It would have been massive. It, it, you don't know. I mean, if, he, if they win that game, the Buffs win that game, they were within eight points at the end. Yeah. It's a completely different story potentially. Yeah. A hundred percent. Anything else that sticks out to you there? Um, I mean, I loved hearing him talk about just his time at other programs with Andrew Luck. Uh, the story that was cut off about Jim Harbaugh and everything. There was a clip about uh, him talking about Bill Walsh, that he was oh, yeah. standing next to Jim Harbaugh and Bill Walsh. We might get uh, to that get update for the listeners. We're working on re-exporting the file and getting, a, uh, uh, getting the full thing there. It was corrupt. Yeah. Oh. So... We're trying. We're trying. RG and I are working hard. Well, he was talking a lot about college football, so it doesn't uh, isn't a coincidence that the file was corrupt. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you got to be corrupt to win these days, I suppose. <laughs> a little bit. Um, yeah, so hopefully we'll get to, to the end there. But I think uh, just in terms of his personal experience, I thought it was really interesting him saying that his biggest regret was leaving his alma mater, mm-hmm. Boise State, to go be the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Yep. And l- let me start by saying there's no way you could blame a guy for taking the Notre Dame offensive coordinator job, but that definitely turned his career down a totally different path. 100%. And you just look at the coaches and the teams that he's coached for. You mentioned Andrew Luck, David Shaw, Jim Harbaugh. I mean, he's been around and he's done a lot of impressive things at a lot of different universities. Um, so... As you mentioned, I think really the best is yet to come in his coaching career. He's only 40. I mean, in coaching years, that's that's a baby almost. And his soul is about 30. Yes. At least, or at most. But he's got the right knee of an old man with the torn meniscus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so tough just because of the way things went for him at Western Kentucky. Um, to, to see the path, I guess, for him to get another job uh, as a head man, but... I legit like I, I don't know if I had a friend who was an athletic director at a smaller school, I would be hitting them up right now saying, "If you have an opening, you should interview this guy." He's I think he's going to get some decent offensive coordinator looks in the very least this next coaching cycle. Um, I mean, how would you feel? Say Arizona State hires Mike Sanford to be the head coach of their football team. I would be thrilled for Mike Sanford. Yes, absolutely. Um, that would be my first reaction. But for the Buffs. I don't know. It would be interesting. I think he clearly has the personality traits to recruit well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be. I don't know. It's so hard to evaluate his offense mm-hmm. uh, in, in his offensive coordinator role this year, just because 
you know, they were so devoid of talent yep. uh, in a lot of different areas. I think, you know, you look at the Cal game and I guess the short stint of Owen McCown as like the, the most legitimate evaluation you can make of his offense this year. But, you know, he hasn't necessarily been a lights out offensive coordinator at some of his most recent stops. And again, after spending time with him, I feel like he's more head coach material than he yeah. is offensive coordinator material, honestly. For sure. Just his, I mean, you talk about the different types of head coaches in football. You have, like, your masterminds, your Sean McVeighs, and then you have your CEO-type coaches, yes. the guys that really rally the troops. And, I mean, I think he fins, fits into that latter category for sure. I mean, not to discredit his offensive acumen in any all. way, but uh, as he mentioned in the interview, too, the Buffs have dealt with so many injuries at so many positions. He mentioned tight end. This running back room has just been every week. It's someone new with the, uh, the most carries on the team. Receivers been really tough, obviously with Jordan Tyson going down. You mentioned the quarterbacks. Uh, offensive line's been reshuffled. I mean, you name it. He's had to coach through it this year. Yeah. So it's really impressive that he stuck with it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I will be a Mike Sanford fan for life. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And and I'll be follow, You know, following whatever happens next. There is a world I think in which. Maybe, you know, he stays around um, in some role for the next head coach. I think anyone and everyone would probably be think that, including him, would probably think that's a, a small chance, but not, not a zero chance. But I think you're right that he's going to get legitimate looks. And um, I think he, he has what, it, what is one of the more important qualities, no matter what job you're doing in the college ranks, and that's charisma. Yes. You know, you have to be able to go and talk to kids' parents, and you got to talk to kids as well and connect with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, it was my first time ever talking to him, period. I felt like we made a connection, you know, within the first five minutes. Yeah. And that's a, it's a really, really, really valuable quality in the college world. And, again, you know, in a, in a different world where he isn't brought onto an already sinking ship, I think, you know, I would have hoped that he had a long career here. What if the Buffs had Coach Sanford as their offensive coordinator last year? How much is different, do you think? Don't know. I really don't know. Um, I, I feel like a coach can only go as far as their quarterbacks are going to take them, and the Buffs had the exact same problem last year that they yeah. have this year, which is a complete and utter lack of talent at that position. Now, Owen was a difference maker, I felt like, at that, and we didn't quite get to it here. What's the latest update? It's exporting. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, I was going to say, you guys will hear it, but he talked about what Bill Walsh told him about quarterback. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, should, we, should we talk about that now or should we save it, Al? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we'll save <laughs> Whatever it. Whatever you guys okay. want to we'll do. It. We'll come it, back to it at the end. But he's I think, Russian. He's Russian. I think Owen McCown is checks those boxes that he got to. He has what Coach Sanford talked about, and, you know, the biggest thing with Owen McCown that everyone knows is just his body. I mean, he obviously got hurt in that Cal game, took a bad hit, um, and it wasn't a severe injury. He was at, he's been, like, playing roles at, on the scout team at practice and stuff the past few weeks. But, I mean, I think the combination of when the injury occurred, the fact that he could still redshirt, and that he just needs to pack on some pounds, man. And what, um, what better way to truly illustrate because anyone and everyone can say I want what's best for the players right um, but Mike Sanford said that when we talked to him and what better way to illustrate that than redshirting most likely redshirting Owen McCown mm -hmm. at this point like to me that is one of the more honorable things he could have possibly done and, and truly shows that he does put those players first and care about him if Owen McCown doesn't play again this year he keeps all of his eligibility and, you know, he's a guy who's banged up, but very, very clearly was Mike Sanford's best option to play quarterback. And if Mike Sanford was going to become the head coach at Colorado, he needed Owen McCown to do it. 100%. And he made the decision that was best for Owen McCown, not the decision that was, and he, I guess, was a part of that decision. But that was best for Owen, not what was best for Mike Sanford. The Owen McCown decision, I mean, it's probably the most notable one, but I talked to Chase Penry today at practice, actually. Uh, he was the punt returner to start the year for the Buffs, got hurt three games in, and he returned against USC last week to be the punt returner and got to play, you know, get some of that valuable experience as a young guy, and then he's going to get the red shirt too. So, yep. I mean, it's going back to what Coach Sanford said. 
He really does care about his players, and he's doing what's best by them, not just Owen McCown because he's the quarterback, but it's literally everyone on the roster. And you could feel just the intense love all these players and all of his coaches, frankly, too, have for him. Um, it's just a shame that this is how all the injuries and just the shape of the roster had to be for him, though. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I hope that um, when, you know, he's looking for his next gig and if for whatever reason, you know, uh, he gets an opportunity to be a head coach again and someone calls Rick George or calls Josh McCown yeah. and says, hey, what, what can you tell me about Coach Sanford? I think that will go a long way for him. I think uh, just, I mean, I hate to bring this up, but just judging by the transfer players and the success they had elsewhere, I mean, could we rule out Mike Sanford being a, a playoff offensive coordinator next year for a team or something? I mean, it's definitely in the cards. For sure. And, and again, I think that, you know, um, he he could be a real asset to any coaching staff. And I will say this. I obviously am always rooting for the Buffs to win. Mm -hmm. I'm rooting so much harder for them to somehow pull off a miracle in these last two weeks now just because I feel like uh, this team and, uh, you know, he deserves, uh, you know, another uh, another moment like they had after Cal. Yeah, absolutely. And this would, of course, be the biggest one. I mean, the Pac-12 has been absolutely crazy this year. There's been upsets, seems like, almost every week. Uh, who's to say that the Buffs maybe couldn't just scrounge up one more game, just one more good fight? I mean, heck, if if uh, JT Shroud hits that pop pass uh, yeah. against USC, they take a 10-9 lead. Caleb Williams at the time was like one for five or something yep. with an interception. I'm not saying they win the game, but you at least see that they can, for a quarter and a little quarter plus, they could compete with USC. So anything can happen. 100%. I think we are all good to go. Yes, I think we're good. All we right. got it back. All right. Do you Eight want to hit an ad left. before we get to the... Uh... Yes, actually. I want to tell you guys about our great friends at Ivaca TV. Ivaca, I mean, if you're a Denver sports fan, it is the TV service to have. Uh, you can catch, I think still, is our 100 Invisible Threads still up on Ivaca? Oh, yeah. So you can go check that out. Uh, done by our guy Ryan Green over here, who, of course, made this awesome video uh, and helped us out interviewing Coach Sanford. With Ivaca TV, you can sign up for just $25 a month plus the $5 receiver. Um, as I mentioned, the trailer for 100 Visible Threads is live on our YouTube channel now. But go to Ivaca TV and set yourself up with evoca.tv slash dmvr to watch your favorite Colorado sports teams and original DMVR content. Let's get back to the interview. I'm sure the Andrew Luck eval was pretty easy, but we already see how hard it is for NFL teams to pick out the best college quarterbacks and see which ones are going to translate to the NFL. And that's, you know, you have a lot more information when you're evaluating high school kids. What what do you think is the most important part of finding a good quarterback that's going to translate to the college level? I don't know if you know this or if you've heard it since you've been here, but it's been since Coy Detmer that CU had a quarterback drafted in the NFL draft. It's been a long time. They've struggled with that. I'm curious what you think is the key, I guess, to actually, uh, you know, evaluating a high school quarterback. Well, I was also fortunate in that two years at Stanford. Uh, ironically, the week that Sean Renfrey and Andrew Luck came to kind of compete for who was going to get the uh, the rose ceremony rose at the bachelor, yeah. um, you know, uh, bachelorette, it would have been, I believe. Yeah. Uh, no, bachelor. Uh, but uh, the, the thing that we did is uh, Bill Walsh was hanging around Stanford a lot. Um, and it was in his, in his last days. Yeah. And the, the, so we all sat down and before the camp started, it was like the day before we sat down with the entire staff around the table, GAs, QCs. Um, and it was like a moment that I'll never forget. Uh, you know, and coach Harbaugh, asked, we're watching these two players and coach Harbaugh asked Bill Walsh, what do you, who do you think is better? You know, and, and, and coach Walsh said, um, I think they're both really good players. And um, I was like, okay, that's not necessarily the answer that I expected. Right? Um, but they were really good players. They're both great high school players. Um, but Coach Harbaugh asked probably what I'm so thankful to him to this day for asking this question. But he said, hey, uh, hey, Coach Walsh, what were you looking for in a quarterback when you're evaluating? Like, dude, this is, this is gold, right? Like, this is as right. good as it gets. Um, and so he said two things that have stayed with me forever, and I think they're even more impactful today than they even were maybe 30 years ago. He said, the first thing that I look for in a quarterback is instincts. You know, this is how he kind of described it. Like a quarterback that knows, you know, when to throw the ball away, when to tuck it and run, you know, when to try to force a ball in there, understand situations. He's like, and some of those things can't be taught. 
you know, and, and, I've, and I've learned that over the years. Like I can train footwork. Um, I usually can't fully change motions, right? Like throwing processes. Those are, those are 18 to 22 years of just muscle memory. I can change footwork. I can train an offense. But when the play breaks down, some of that stuff is just God-given. Um, and that's the reason that there's only really eight really good quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said instincts, number one. And then the second one, I think so incredibly important to this day, is that I was always looking for a quarterback that could give me at least two first downs a game with their legs, mm-hmm. which I think is like so, like so important. You look at our conference right now, right? Who are the top four teams right now? USC. USC. Can Caleb, is Cable Williams have good instincts? Oh, yeah. Can he get you two, le- two first downs a game with his legs? <laughs> Easily. Michael Penix. Uh, yes. 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 Okay. Yes. Bonix. Bonix. Yep. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then let's go with. Um, I'm interested to see who you would say. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I, I had it. It was in there. Just uh, a lot going on. Um, gosh dang it. Rising? Cam Rising. Duh. Cam Rising. Hey, is it going to be Delora? <laughs> no. Yeah. Cam, well, and, and I would say top five, but Cam Rising. Frankly, to me, he's the king of the he's the king of the castle in the conference because right. he's won the championship, mm-hmm. right? And maybe not quote unquote as flashy as the other guys, but you want to talk about instincts, toughness, you know, extending plays with his legs, going, you know, putting his head. Down. I mean, that, that dude's a tough son of a gun, you know. And that's that's ultimately like I think that's a critical piece of this mm-hmm. here at CU um, is just going forward. You know what that looks like, you know. And obviously, you know, we can sit here and talk about what we have in in house, but. Um, you know, I believe in those players, but I think like to get to a championship level, do you have incredible instincts one? And can you be a guy that can create, which ultimately that that's that other piece is the creation. Cause last time I checked, I watched that USC game over and over and over. How many on time throws that were play designed did Caleb make? Very few. Yeah. What was it all? Yeah. Improvisation running around. It's what it is. It's the name of the game, right? Mm-hmm. The guys in the NFL right now. Right, like how many of them are just purely on-time players? Tom Brady is, but even then, he's got that ability, even at 44, 45, to give you that two feet of movement, a little extra time, and then throw something off schedule. Right, that's the name of the game. Yeah, I mean the the Colts won yesterday, and Matt Ryan had a huge like 22-yard run. It, it, you know? it felt like a 90-yard run. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like me out there with my torn meniscus yeah. and knee brace. Yeah. I think we're about the same age too. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time. Just one last question. You've called a lot of plays in your career, a lot of big plays. Which one stands out, I guess, amongst them, all of them, all the rest? Um, you know, I'd say number one was the Fiesta Bowl in 2014 at Boise State. Um, we played Arizona. It was Rich Rod. They had a phenomenal team that year. Great de- They had a good defense. Um, I can't remember who their quarterback was. He was a, he was a good player. He was a Polynesian kid that transferred there. Solomon? I think he transferred from uh, is it Anu Solomon. Yeah, that's right. right. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, so it was 2014. And uh, we went up. I think it, it was either we went up 21 nothing, And it was like, it was like, a, it was, it was, it was really good. There were a lot of on schedule plays. Yeah. So like, I was kind of feeling myself, right? So you're up 21 nothing. I can't remember if it went 21 7 or 20, uh, if it was 21 nothing. But going into the second quarter, what I talked to you guys about with the expectations of Boise State fans. You win the Fiesta Bowl and you call Statue of Liberty. Right. So we, we recreated a brand new version of Statue of Liberty that I called Murica. M-U-R-I-C-A, right? So the signal was, you know, it's very patriotic. It was, you know, there was the hand over the heart. The, you know, we called it, um, and Jay Ajayi was our running back, absolute freak. Um, we got into a really funky, unbalanced formations. We put three guys on the line of scrimmage. Nobody was weak. Um, we had Jeremy McNichols and Jay Ajayi in the backfield. Motioned out Jeremy McNichols, faked the bubble to him, had everybody on the O-line screen pass. Or scream. We had them yell scream. Um, you literally saw everybody run this way. And then the, the traditional Statue of Liberty ball handling. J.H.I. actually created the play. Like there was there were two guys that he ran through their face. Um, and actually he, he broke somebody's arm uh, in the process of a stiff arm. And that guy went down and I think it was, I can't remember, it was a really good player. Um, might have Scooby Wright. Scooby Wright. Yeah, yeah it, it was either him or another player. Um, and uh and, and all of a sudden it's 28-7 or 28-0. And I'm like, I got this. And that was my first year as a play caller. So like, you know, you know the, the thing that's crazy is I'll say this and I'll say it over and over again. The guys that make the, the magic are the players. You know, like I think, I think that there's a lot of really good play callers in, in, in football. Um, there are times where you're just in that kind of flow state as a play caller. 
but ultimately it's the players that, that make the plays. Um, and what I learned, you know, even looking back is we had a really special team with special talents. Um, they were a veteran team. They'd kind of worked together in the offensive lines. They'd gone through a lot of stuff. Um, hadn't won really at that level, you know, in probably two, three, four years, Fiesta Bowl type style. Um, but they went through those hard times together and, and they're the ones who made the magic happen, not a play call. Coach, thank you so much for coming on, man. It was an absolute blast. Looking forward to what you do with this team the rest of the season. And it's honestly been a lot of fun watching you out there. So no, I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys, your guys support too. It's really kind of a cool platform you guys have. And um, it, it's to me, it's like where everything's going right now with, with, with digital and marketing and, and media and everything. It's just, it's really super cool. I'm a big podcast listener. So this would be, this would be cool. Sweet. Well, uh, after the season, we'll have to get you down to the bar. Oh, cool. studio. You guys have, I didn't know about this. So we have a bar on the, the first level, and then on the second level is where we have all of our studios where we record it. What's the best draft beer? I mean, we're Breckenridge Brew sponsored, so oh, nice. Uh, I honestly love the Strawberry Sky. It's like yep. a nice light, got a little sweetness to it. We went spring break, uh, the family first time we'd been to Breck, and we we were we were stayed right pretty much right across from the Breck Brewery, awesome place. Oh, so they can't beat can't beat the Colorado microbrewery scene. No. Exactly, it's pretty unbelievable. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Yes, sir. Thanks, Thanks. Coach. Yep. Full interview with Coach Sanford. What a guy. What a guy. I mean, I, it's really cool hearing him say, you know, that I guess even that he knew anything about what, you know, we had going on over here. Right. I sometimes maybe think I'm naive to think that, uh, you know, coaches or players don't know what we're doing yeah. or don't listen. Um, but even just, you know, that he understood the digital aspect of what we do and that sort of thing. And I think we are going to get him down here to the bar at some point. I sure hope so. The rumor has it that he may make an appearance after the season. Yes, and apparently a big uh, U.S. men's national team fan. Yes, so take that for what you will. Yes. Um, um, go ahead. Oh, I wanted to get to this because we, we teased up the Bill Walsh thing mm -hmm. so much and, uh, you know, incredible. Like he said, he was forever thankful uh, to uh, to Harbaugh for asking the follow up, I'm forever thankful to him yes. for sharing that with us because 100%. I'll be thinking about that forever. One hundred percent. Instincts, and I think it that's a broad thing, but when you see it, you know it. Well, and just the the two first downs with your legs. It sounds so simple, but when you think about, I mean, just how many times the Buffs struggle on offense this year? How many times would a first down run from Brendan Lewis or? Oh, McCown or JT Shrout even just fire you up and just make you believe a little bit more. You know, it's it's a crucial aspect. But as you said, the instincts, I mean, and coming off the heel of that Caleb Williams game against USC, you kind of we saw it firsthand. Yeah. And, and I wanted to ask him this, but I didn't I, I didn't want to put him in an awkward position because of the other guys on the roster, especially the starting quarterback right now. But what I what my follow up was going to be is, don't you think Owen McCown has those two things? Um, or is at least getting close to having those two things. And I think instinct is the number one one that I see from Owen that I don't see from the other quarterbacks on the roster, which is like just a, a little bit of a feel for the pressure, an, uh, an understanding of where to escape the pocket. Um, you know, knowing when to run and when to take a shot downfield, knowing when is a good time to throw up a 50-50 ball or, uh, you know, or to throw it away. Like, when when he played in that first time in the first time he was out there that was my first reaction was like oh this guy understands quarterback play and that's what you expect from a, a, you know the son of an NFL quarterback right 100% uh, and then he also has you know the the running ability i got like when when i saw Owen McCown out there i'm like 3 years from now he's going to look a lot like Jaden Delora mm -hmm. i really feel that way and as you know how i feel about Jaden Delora yes. i love that guy so you know, maybe not quite as elusive, but some of that same stuff, you know, of of just being able to extend a play and maybe be a little bit undersized, but uh, play play above that. Yeah, it's it was great stuff. I mean, and as he mentioned, like when he got to the the Bill Walsh Bill Walsh uh, answer to Harbaugh's question, I mean, that was gold for me, man. I was rubbing my hands. That's just yeah. such good stuff. I uh, wish we could have talked about him more on all that stuff. But uh, as we hinted, maybe you'll see him at the bar here sometime. Um, any final thoughts, I guess, before we go? Just he's awesome. That's yeah, all I could say. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I said this after the Cal game, but um, 
pr I, I, I'm proud that he was the guy who stood in for us. Um, and I think he's done about as good of a job as you could possibly do it, given the circumstances that he inherited. Um, but, you know, it, it just, it, for a proud program and a, and a fan base that cares a lot and in one of the darkest places we've ever been, I feel he's he he was the right guy to uh, to take take this. So hats off to Rick George uh, for putting him in that position, and uh, and hats off to to Coach Sanford for you know being what he has been, not just for you know me as a fan or the program, but especially for the players. I think one thing that really rings true with me and Coach Sanford in his time as interim head coach is. As we talked about, it's likely that CU is probably going to hire a different guy to be head coach. But I think Coach Sanford still has set the standard for how you promote this university, how you care for these players. Um, just with NIL and everything going on right now, it's a huge change in the program. And seeing a guy really come in on the fly and do all of this, I think, has to be very eye-opening for Rich George, Rick George and whoever's hiring uh, the next football coach because... Sanford just did such a great job in that department. You can't possibly lose that edge you gained there. 100%. All right. Well, it was a fantastic interview. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back on Friday with another edition of the DMVR Buffs podcast. Thanks for listening. Let's go Buffs. Let's go Buffs.